Principal Matters Podcast, episode 139. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about building strong collaboration with Diana Lebsack. Recently, I hosted a webinar for my state principals association, and Diana Lebsack was the Middle School Principal of the Year for Oklahoma last year. She's a principal from Yukon Middle School near Oklahoma City. And in just a moment, I'll introduce her when I introduce an audio recording of that same webinar. I know that as I visit with school leaders across my state and across the nation, that many of you are using strong professional learning communities. Some of you have been doing it for a long time, and some of you are just beginning. And others of you may be trying to decide, how can I increase the kind of collaboration that my teachers are doing around student standards? How do we move from independence, where teachers are siloed, door shut, working alone with their students, to interdependence, where teachers are not only instructing within their classrooms and with their students, but they are collaborating with their fellow teachers on what are the best practices, what are the standards we want our students to be reaching, and how can we use designs and frameworks to consistently be identifying, measuring those things together, and then working together so that all students are ours, not just the ones in our classrooms, but this entire school has a mission of all students learning. It's a tall order, and school leaders have a lot on their plate. And that's why I'm so excited to introduce you today to Diana Lebsack, who has been doing this work now for four years at the middle school where she's serving and has seen a lot of student growth and a lot of growth for her team. So looking forward to introducing you to her. I hope you're having a great week. If you would like other resources like this one, you can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. We are so excited this week to be sharing collaborative practices from Diana Lebsack, principal of UConn Middle School. Diana is the principal of a sixth through eighth grade school. UConn is right outside of Oklahoma City, and she has been the principal there. Is this your fourth year, Diana? Fourth year, yes. Ten years of experience previous to this as the middle school principal and a high school principal at Putnam City. And in 2018, she was recognized as our middle school principal of the year by OASSP and OMLEA. So Diana, welcome. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy school day to share with us about collaboration. I'm so excited to learn the work that you're doing with your school. Tell us a little bit of what you expect us to take away from this practice today, and we'll just dive right in. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Really, our focus is about building collaborative learning communities that actually work. And so really what I'd like for everyone to walk away with is to identify a strategy or a couple strategies that will increase your effective collaboration, which in turn will improve student achievement. Because all of the collaboration that we do regarding learning, data, what our students are getting out of our classes, it really comes down to we want to improve student achievement. So the focus is to really talk about effective collaboration that's going to make an impact on our kids' learning. Collaboration is a really 
big word and it's tossed around a lot and we need to really focus our work. And so I've kind of narrowed this down to three things. So we want to define the expectations by setting the stage early. We want to define the right work. So what is the right work of collaboration? And you want to do that through a clear framework. And we also want to define healthy collaboration by doing some collaboration checkups. So since collaboration means so many things to so many different people and teachers have different experiences and levels of collaboration from past jobs, or maybe they're brand new and they just think collaboration is just working together, we need to make sure and we define it in these three ways and continue to check up on it so that we make sure our collaboration leads to that improvement in student achievement. So really, we'll start with defining the expectations by setting the stage early. And I know some of you do this already, but let's talk about a couple of strategies. One thing is hiring panels. You want to make sure that in any way possible, you can model collaboration by opening up um, people that your candidate might come teach with, having them see that it's a collaborative process, even how you hire and onboard people onto into your school. And so you really want to make sure you set that stage right off with modeling collaboration and how you hire them. But my bigger thing here is really framing your hiring questions. So we like to set the stage early. So the questions I have for you are, do you frame your strengths and expectations within your interview questions? Do you lay out the actual work of collaboration as samples in your interviews? And do you make your beliefs about collaboration clearly known through the interview process? And I'm going to walk you through a couple of samples because we've all been interviewing probably for some time, or if you're brand new, you're getting your interview legs and you're asking some of those traditional questions about what does teamwork mean to you? What are your strengths? Well, hopefully I can show you a couple of examples here that help us set the stage early for defining the type of collaboration we're going to expect. So you can see the first one. Again, we always try to embed strengths of our school into our questions because that's going to tell them about our culture. So our first one is our PLC processes have come a long way in the past two years. And we talk about we have common plan time. How do we support the collaboration? We go through that with this question. So we have common planning time and individual planning time to ensure our PLCs have daily time to meet. Our focus has been transitioning to discuss evidence of student learning learning and using data to inform instruction. What experience and knowledge do you have in this area and how will you add to this PLC as a new member? So that goes a little bit deeper than just tell me about how you've collaborated in the past because you might get a lot of conversation about, well, we get together once a week and we talk about the kids that we share. Well, this is telling them they're really talking about student data and talking about the learning of the students. So it's setting that stage for them to know the expectation may be different and that the collaboration you're talking about may go a little bit deeper. We also talk about our assessment tools. We want to make sure they know that we have assessment tools to support the work. So again, we're embedding a positive into our interview questions. So then we actually have them look at data. We run a sample from one of our common formative assessments. We give them real data. Uh, We have four-person and five-person teams in our school. So we show them, if you're teacher A, and then you see the data of teacher A, B, C, and D, talk to us about where do you start the conversation based on this data with your PLC. So what are your thoughts if this is your data? And then where do you start the conversation? And again, 
even if they don't have a lot of experience with looking at student learning data, it is already getting them in the mindset that this is the expectation. So I want to improve in this. I want to learn more about this. So they're already going to have an expectation if they're hired at your school for what types of collaboration they may come across once they're in their teacher teams. And so we always make sure if it's a first-year teacher where we walk them through. But I'll be honest, some of our first-year teachers knock this question out of the park more than some of our teachers that have been part of of collaboration for some time. So give them the chance. Don't rescue them too early on this one. Make sure you really let them see what they what naturally comes out when you ask these types of questions. And then we also talk about our beliefs that at our school, we're committed to teamwork, high expectations, and critical thinking. And we ask them how they fit into that. So some people have asked it as, what's your intangibles? But we really want them to have to tie their beliefs about education into ours to see if we're a good match and see what they believe out of those are even um, their strengths. So just different ways to form questions and really set that stage early for the types of collaboration that they'll encounter if hired at um, your site or my site. So just think about ways to embed some of your positives. It's, it's your time to brag. We all know there's a teacher shortage. And so we're also trying to attract those candidates. So this may help set you apart that you've embedded really positive things about your school and your climate and your culture and the type of work your teachers do versus some traditional interviews that may be more of the just generic questions. So we that's how we begin. We really want to set that stage early for positive collaboration. Now, what I like about that so much is how you have set the framework ahead of time. And that's the first time I've seen someone talk about how to actually present a PLC sample within the interview process. That's so powerful. And and you've already answered the question that was going through my mind at the time. What do you do with someone who may seem intimidated by that process if they walk in and they realize, oh, you have a culture that maybe I'm not familiar with, but it sounds like you really use that to vet who's already down that road and who may we need to train down that road as well. But I love that practice. Thanks for sharing. It also helps your teachers that are part of that interviewing process to know if you go with that specific candidate where they will have to help support them or where they may be excited to learn from them. We've had teachers say, we need that person. They had a really good grasp and that's something that we're missing. So it's really good, again, as part of that collaborative process, your teachers come away with things from each candidate when you get a little bit more specific. Mm -hmm. So then the next work that we do is we define the right work. We have to have really clear frameworks and understanding of the type of collaboration we want if we want to improve student achievement, student learning. So do your teachers have a clear understanding of the cycle of collaboration? Do you have a focus on producing the evidence of collaboration? Because that can be really varied. So are they doing SMART goals? Are they supposed to be doing weekly notes? What is your evidence of collaboration that you're wanting? And do the teachers know the type of evidence that you're expecting from them? out of their collaboration time, whether that's daily, weekly, monthly, they still need to know the evidences that need to be created. And then do teachers know where to find resources for collaboration? So one of the simple things that we have is this flow chart, and it is built on solution trees, the grandfathers of professional learning communities. It's focused on the four questions. So if you haven't seen the PLC four questions before, check out allthingsplc.com. They have some great free resources. So there's a lot out there without having to go to an institute. But those four questions that we always focus on is, what do we want the students to know? How will we know when they've learned it? 
How will we respond when they have not learned it? And how will we respond when they already know it? And just like unpacking standards, you have to unpack what each of those four questions really means to teach your practice because it's not always intuitive to teachers to know what to do with those four questions. So hopefully you can see if you're watching this, you can see that we just unpacked those four questions. And what we focus on is in every collaboration meeting, you need to be somewhere in this cycle. So are you talking about developing your next common formative assessment? Are you talking about planning based on results of that for intervention, enrichment, remediation? So somewhere in every meeting, you should be hitting on one of these tenants based on where you are in the cycle. But it gets more specific than just giving them a list of four questions and expecting them to naturally know what to do with those. This really gives them a flow chart to follow and sit with in their meetings and they'll be able to self-assess whether they're off track, whether they're on track and where they are in their work. And the other things that we do is we make sure resources are easily found for all of our teachers. We have a Google Drive. So if you're a Google school, then we have a Google Drive with a folder where every single PLC evidence that they will need to produce is there with dates. We have a calendar in the Google Drive of when every piece of evidence is due. And we give them that in August. There's no surprises. There's no, hey, we needed this from your collaboration team. We didn't get it. They know exactly when those things are coming up and kind of where they should be. We have a faculty handbook with all the appendixes as well. So every SMART goal form, anything that they would need for collaboration, um, we have a form for where they put their essential standards for the year. That's that, what do we want students to know? We have all of those forms easily found for them in simple places so that if you have a new PLC team, which can happen to some of us, we get an entirely new team based on turnover, then they know exactly where to go. We also have a form shortcut sheet. So if they can't find any of those, there's one form that we have and there is a link to every single form on one sheet. And so they can do a quick search for that. And then every single week in what I call our Miller grind, I send out a weekly email And it's not just dates. I know we get caught up in all the activities we have going on at school, but I have a daily PLC focus, not just on activities, but we also have the PLC time. So every day for a PLC that may be completely lost, they can go to that weekly email and see, okay, these are some places we could go back to and try to get back on the right path. So those are some of the things we do to define the right work. Diana, you have a very large school, 2,000 students approximately, and a very large staff. And I know that you have some administrative team members too. And you may be talking about this as you move forward, but I'm just curious, how do you structure your school schedule for PLC times? Because I know that's different in every school that I visit and every principal I talk to seems to have a different kind of schedule. How does that look like for you guys? So in ours, we have daily time. So we are fortunate enough that every single core teacher, so it's not every teacher in the building, but every core teacher in the building is off at um, the same time as all their other same subject areas. So for example, first hour, all of our English teachers are off. Second hour, all of our social studies teachers are off. And then math and science have another period off during the day. And then they also have an individual plan. So our expectation is during that that vertical time, 
They're in their PLCs four days a week. And then every single Thursday is our vertical time. And I meet with the entire six through eight ELA teachers all together. That's where we do a lot of our pacing. That's where we make sure we even um, pull up samples of our common formative assessments, look at our depth of knowledge of those, make sure we don't have a grade that's lowering and deviating away from their standards in terms of the level that we're assessing. So we use our vertical time to really hone in our collaboration, but they spend four days a week during that team time collaborating as a grade level PLC. And then one time a week, we come together vertically and still the process is the same. We're looking at student learning, we're looking at evidence and trying to always stay focused on the right work, but that's kind of our job embedded PD time. So it does, it takes purpose, set aside time to do some of this work to try to impact student achievement, especially we're a staff of about 130 right now. And it, it takes a lot to keep everybody on the same page. So some of these, making sure we have clear frameworks is to try to make sure with a large staff, that everyone knows the right work because we constantly talk about if we all pull together, that's where we'll make a difference. If we're pulling in different directions, we're going to be stuck on dead center. So just making sure we have that built-in time has been huge for our master schedule. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks for those examples. Well, the last thing that we do is once we set the stage, people who come in new to us. They understand the type of collaboration. We set that stage early. Then we defined the right work. We can't just assume that it's always going to be happening. We have to define healthy collaboration throughout the school year. And we do them through collaboration checkups. So do you have collaboration time? Do you model your own beliefs about collaboration? Do they see you collaborating with them? Do you introduce the same processes and go through the same cycle? in decisions that you make and things like that, using that everything we do should make student achievement, student learning better. And do you openly talk about PLC health throughout the year? So for this one, if you can kind of picture, for those of you who can't see, four squares, and in the top quadrants, you have high productivity, high relationships. And then on the left side at the top, you have high productivity, low relationships. Then in the bottom quadrants, you have low productivity, high relationships, and low productivity, low relationships. Hopefully you can see the visual for this because it really helps you understand, but this is what we do. We actually walk our teachers through this once in nine weeks, and we do a PLC checkup. How is your team performing? So for example, are you high productivity and high relationships? Those are your superstar teams, pairs of teachers. So they are producing evidence of student learning. They are on target. They know what they are tracking and their kids are growing. And they also just happen to get along and love one another. Wouldn't it be great if that was every team in your building? And so that's what we all strive for. We also have high productivity, low relationships. And I think we can all probably identify a pair of teachers that may not get along. They may not have a lot in common, but they still together produce great results for their kids. They still put everything aside, give it all to the process of collaboration, and you can see that student growth in what they do. So they're still producing, even though they may never go out to eat with one another outside of school. Then you shift to the bottom, low productivity, high relationships. Those teams are the ones who love to be around one another. They know everything about each other's families, and they just could spend all their time together. 
They go to each other's homes. Potlucks are their favorite thing. But in terms of doing things that are actually productive in terms of increasing student achievement, you may not always see that. So they're low productive, but they really get along. And I guarantee you, you have one or two of these in your building, a pair of teachers that love to be together, but they sometimes aren't focused on that right work for student achievement. And then you have the lowest quadrant, the lower right, low productivity, low relationships. I say that these are our teams that would rather accept an invitation to an IEP than go to collaboration time, anything to avoid. Um, they don't get along and they don't produce any of that evidence that you're wanting your collaborative teams to produce. So student achievement, student growth is impacted in a negative way because we can't get the relationships established. And so at any given time, your teams could be one of these teams. You could have a minor difference of opinion, and all of a sudden that relationship piece can drop. So we actually have the conversations. They rate themselves. We bring this up in a collaboration meeting. They have a discussion, where are we? And then they make a plan that they submit to us in Google of how they're going to improve or maintain. If they're already rating themselves as high productivity, high relationship, that's great. How are you going to maintain that? And then we look at their plans and we go have some hard conversations. And some of those conversations involve you rated yourself high productivity. Let's talk about that on the most, on the most recent data. Or sometimes teachers are overcritical of themselves and we have to go give them that pep talk that you're doing more than you think. Look at all the evidence of what great things are happening in your classroom. So we take those action plans and depending on what that team needs from us, that's where we're that guide by the side. And we walk up and we say, let us help you either stay on track, get back on track, or it may just be they need some drops in their bucket. But we talk about our PLC health because we can't wait till after testing and then say, oh, by the way, how did, how did everything go this year in your collaboration time? We're purposeful about how we do that. And so it's something that I, I suggest to everyone out there is to not make it a secret because those undercurrents are there whether we're acknowledging them or not. And so drag it out into the light. I always say, you know, the light is our friend. Things, bad things happen in the dark, great things happen in the light. So drag it out, have everyone talk about it. It is uncomfortable the first couple times you do it, but our teachers are used to us now asking them to self-reflect on their process. Mm. So and, it sounds like that's a self-reflective piece then. You guys provide that to them. Your teachers can mm -hmm. actually provide that assessment of themselves back to you and their teams. And I'm just curious, um, how what's the frequency? Yes. How often are you guys having them visit their own collaboration health and give you guys that feedback? We're doing it once in nine weeks right now, just collecting that feedback, having them have discussions, talking about again, we always bring it back to, we want that high productivity because we want the right work. That's what our kids deserve. So we do it once in nine weeks and it just, because PLC health can change so quickly. You think, can you do it um, every semester, you could, that would be a great place to start is to at least have that conversation. And if you haven't had the conversation, doing it in May isn't a horrible thing. It's just make it purposeful that next year to do those checkups along the way. But PLC health changes dramatically. You have 
a long-term sub that comes in. We all have those situations and that sub changes the dynamic or you just have different things happen in, in people's lives that all of a sudden that relationship piece can get off kilter in a hurry. And those are the types of things we need to know. So we, we do these checkups more frequently so that we can stay in tune with where our PLCs are and where they are kind of in their journey. Because it is a journey and it is not a straight road. It has many winding winding paths. And so we always kind of like the shepherd tried to herd everyone back toward greener pastures, if you will. Well, and I like that model and because so, it also lends to a healthy culture. And I know that's an important part of, of what your work is too. Culture is the big piece and collaboration is part of your culture. So you want to make sure if, if you're spending as much time and energy as many of us are as principals, ensuring this type of work is happening in our buildings, we're building our master schedules completely around providing this type of time. There are people that are doing late start and students are coming to school later just so teachers can have this important collaboration time. So if it's that important to us, we've got to make sure that we're doing everything we can to ensure the right work is being done and that it focused work. And so that's why we really focus on defining those expectations by setting the stage early. So if that was a strategy that kind of stuck out to you, look at your questions that you're asking in an interview. Are they getting a feel of who you are as a school, the types of collaboration you want to require of them, and, and really just tweak those one or two things. But make sure you're adding in your strengths as a school because that's an important a part of coming on and choosing you. Because again, we're recruiting. So define the right work. Ask yourself that hard question. If this is one of those places that those questions kind of struck you as I could do better in this area, define that right work. How could you make it simpler for your teachers, more defined for your teachers? They all have a ton on their plate. So nothing is more frustrating than someone telling you you have tasks to do and that you need to be doing things, but they don't know where to find those resources or the right forms to fill out. They're not sure when things are due. So is that an area you could go back and say, I think we could shore that up a little bit and make it a friendlier process for our teachers, especially your new alternatively certified teachers. They're trying to learn the craft of teaching and they're coming into a profession where collaboration is way bigger than maybe they expected. So trying to make it where they can easily get to the things that they need because all of them want to feel success. And then don't forget to do those healthy checkups. So is that something that you're doing with your teams already? But maybe it's January. I know I woke up last week when we went back to work and all those things that you think, I'll do that this year. I'll do that this year. And now it's January. So maybe that can be a New Year's resolution is finding a way to check up on your PLCs, healthy collaboration, and make sure that they're on track. Hopefully through this webinar, you found one thing that you can go back, take it to your teams, take it to your teacher leaders and say, how can we make this part of our process? Or maybe ask your teachers, where do they feel like the faculty needs a little more definition in the term collaboration? Diana, as we're wrapping up today's webinar, I want to give people an opportunity to to ask questions. And those of you that are on the webinar version of this, if you want to click on my screen, there's a chat function there in the corner and you can send me questions that Diana may be able to reflect on here in the last few minutes of our time together. But Diana, one of the questions that I often hear from principals when we have this conversation about collaboration is, is they're always curious what a typical, and there's no such thing as a typical day for any principal, but, <laughs> but, what, but what would a typical day look like for you that involves a PLC visit 
So I would love to say that every day I can meet my calendar. I schedule in when I would like to go to PLCs and depending on student discipline and the other things that happen, um, I would say that's three quarters of the time my participation in PLCs is unannounced and a quarter of it, they know I'm coming. But really, I just go in and I listen for the first little bit. I would say our culture is though, as soon as they see me, they usually have questions for me. So I'll typically start out, I'll just go to one grade level PLC, say it's um, eighth grade math. They usually have burning questions that they've been just waiting for me to come in and ask. And so we usually spend some little time on there, but then I really... I really listen more than I do just about anything and listen to where they are in their processes, listen to the types of questions they're asking. I like to see assessments. I like to see what they're writing and what they're doing, um, how that ties in. But I very rarely in those meetings ever ask to see data because that can put them on the spot. If they weren't ready, if they haven't reflected on that data, I don't want to push them. It's a really we have set data meetings once a month during that vertical time where I ask them to bring data because for some of our teachers, it's still a very personal thing. So I do a lot more listening in the drop-in PLC meetings than I do anything else. But there again, as a resource, as a guide, so that if they are off, I, I will be back the next day with a resource that will help them get back on track. Well, thank you. And a follow-up question would be this, you know, you guys have such a strong PLC structure and I'm assuming that you also have a structure for identifying those students who aren't meeting those standards and then following up with those those kids. So what does that look like at UConn? Because I know that's something else that, that changes from place to place too, but what does that structure look like for you guys when you've identified kids that need that extra remediation? We have a built-in time during our day, and that was not something that happened overnight. So I don't want you to think that if you don't have a modified bell schedule um, built right now, that it isn't possible. It was a full year's journey where we started going to different schools and looking at different models. We brought back several. The teachers voted. We narrowed it down. We had collaboration meetings after school where people could ask anything, poke holes in things. Then we did another vote knowing that you had to have a super majority willing to take this risk. So our journey to get to where we had built-in remediation time and intervention time was not something that happened overnight. But what I will say is we do have, it's called REC, R-E-C, and it's remediation enrichment and clubs. It meets Monday through Thursday for 30 minutes a day. Our math teachers have priority for two weeks, then our ELA teachers have priority so that we're not fighting over the same students. Um, so we have priority weeks. The students who do not get called or told that they need to be in a remediation class, they pick enrichment and clubs. And so all of our teachers during that 30 minutes a day are offering a plethora of activities. We have archery going on. We have a makerspace room in our Project Lead the Way classes. And so we, uh, we have games. We have Dungeons and Dragons for our kids, which is a lot of reading and writing, by the way. But we have enrichment going on all over the building based on student choice. And so if you're not picked for remediation, you can go to in enrichment and clubs. So it's a journey. There are still, we did another survey about how is REC going even this year. So we're constantly fine tuning. There is no perfect intervention plan. I, I would love to meet the person that says that theirs is perfect all the time, but anything that we're doing to try to carve that time out is better than leaving kids to chance. And so we know we want our teachers doing centers and activities in their classroom and the teacher table 
but there are just kids who need it in a different setting, in a different way, and over longer periods of time. And so that schedule for rec time has helped allow us to do that. So based on our common formative assessments, they tag those kids and they get told when they need to go to remediation. But they're not missing their favorite elective class, which has helped us a ton. Diana, I know as we wrap up today's webinar, there may be principals who want to follow up with you either for some feedback, maybe to see some samples of the work that you've done, or maybe you've done even for a school visit. So what's the best way for folks to stay in contact with you if they want to follow up and find out more? I'm an emailaholic. So email is wonderful. So I'm Diana, D-I-A-N-A dot Lebsack. I know, L-E-B-S-A-C-K at UConnPS.com. Email me anytime. We'd love to collaborate. We'd love to see what's going on at your school because I know there are great things going on all over this state with amazing principals doing amazing things. So reach out. I'd love to hear ideas. Um, If you saw a strategy and you go, ooh, we do that, I would love to know that as well. So please, please reach out. Well, COSA members, thank you for the time you've taken today to learn together with this Education Leaders webinar. Diana, I'm going to end the recording part of this, but I just want to thank you for the time you spent leading today and uh, wish you a, a wonderful new year. 